Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault and what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets a whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to James chapter 3. We're going to be looking, uh, beginning in verse 1. as the section that Maggie just had read for us. If you're visiting Christ Church this morning, my name's Mark. I get to be one of the ministers here, and we're glad you joined us. We're in the third week of a series through James, where we're looking and calling it Faithful Tests. We're looking at the things that James puts, the values in his writing for the first century Christians, which apply to us as well. He's writing to a group of Jews who were following Jesus, and they were paying a, a price for following Jesus because they were Jews and he was proclaiming to be the Messiah and the majority of Jews didn't believe he was. So they were facing persecution for their belief in Christ. And the second thing is they were facing false doctrines. And James is approaching both of these topics and the reason he writes. So we're answering the question in our own hearts, how do I live wisely in these days? And James gives us some values and we've pointed out five of them. In week one out of chapter one, we talked about trust. That during trials and tribulations, we have the option of running away from God or running to God. And it's in trials and tribulations that God does the work of changing us in ways he does in no other circumstance. It's in trials that God can reshape us in a very significant way, unlike any other moment. And then in chapter 2, last week, we talked about what is faith. Faith is more than a confession, a feeling, or a belief system. Faith must be lived out. It must be activated. And it has actions that come with those beliefs, confessions, and propositions. So it's not unfounded in our mind, but it comes from our mind through our hands and our feet becomes active. And James is telling us that what we do in trials and what we do with our faith helps us grow under the lordship of Jesus. And it also strengthens the faith that gets us through these days as we live wisely. Now, we're going to go to chapter 3 today, as was just read over us. And I have to just confess right up front, this is going to be frustratingly simple. This message is frustratingly simple to hear and frustratingly difficult to implement. So it's a very basic teaching. I don't know that I'll teach you anything new, nor do I intend to. But the challenge will come with how we live differently and live wisely because of what James teaches us. 
it's that significant. He talks about words. So I sat down with a group of guys, or anyway, texted with a group of guys, and I said, give me men, let's let the women have a break here, and let's pick on ourselves. What are some last words that men have unfortunately said? Here's just a list we came up with. Yes, I made sure the power's off. We won't need reservations. I can fix it myself and save some money. It's been three years since I had a speeding ticket. And I thought you said your mother was only staying for the weekend. <laughs> Famous last words that cost. One guy tells a story. His wife sat down next to him. He was flipping channels. And she said, what's on the TV? And he said, dust. And that's when the fight started. Yes. <laughs> words. One comedian said, no gift is opened more inappropriately at the wrong moment than our mouths. This is what James is going to talk about. If you'll spend some time in the book of James reading it, it's a very simple book to read. It'll take you probably 20 minutes max to read through it. You're going to realize in every chapter, James talks about how our words, our professions and confessions change things. So James understands that the power of testimony and the power of the words we use matters. This is why he begins in verse 1 of chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Thoughts come out in our words and in our writings. And teachers need to weigh very heavily the power of the words they use. Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now, the word perfect isn't used the way we use it in the States. Here in the Western culture in America, we use perfect as flawless, uh, has no imperfections at all. Everything is the way it's supposed to be. That's not the word that James uses when he says perfect. He's talking about mature, grown up, proven, experienced, wise, may be the word. He talks about the person who's wisely using their words can keep their whole body in check. Our words matter and they make a lasting difference. I think we're going to be in agreement this morning, so I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I just want to show you the implications. But there was a 21st century rabbi who said it simply this way, words have energy and power with the ability to help, to heal, to hinder, to hurt, to humiliate, and to humble. I think we'd agree. Uh, Thursday night I preached this and we have a, a medical doctor was in the room and he came up to me afterwards with a smile on his face and normally that means I'm about to get corrected. And, and he walked over to me and he goes, we've never met, I'm so-and-so and, -so and I'm, I'm a, a doctor and I'm visiting tonight and I'm appreciated this. And this. he goes, but I want you to notice something. When you go see a doctor and he wants to find out what's wrong with you, where's the first place he checks? I said, I don't know. He goes, throat. Open your mouth and look inside and see what's going on. Hmm. Practical application. He should have preached the sermon. Okay. So what's the big deal about our words? I want to show you three implications and I want to give you two things to consider changing in your life to understand the value of living wisely today. So what's the big deal? Words reveal the direction of our lives. Our words say something about where we're at. It can also say something about where we're going. So in James 3.3, 3, James says, when you, we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Uh, there's a gentleman who attends our church. I, I enjoy him. He's my friend Terry. And Terry, at one point in his life, was a, a jockey. And if I remember correctly, he told me that when he was a jockey, he weighed about 114 pounds. 
And he would get on top of this horse that was anywhere between 1,000 and 1,500 pounds. And he said by a little piece of metal in that horse's mouth, he could control where that horse went. All of that horsepower, all of that strength, all of that domination controlled by a little tiny guy holding a rope with a, a bar across his tongue. Now, if I would have used this illustration, to be honest with you, I'm not making fun of James, but James gets away with murder here because if I would have used this illustration, he'd have gone, really? You had all week to work on that? That's what you came up with? But James uses it because in his day, the horse was a powerful animal. And in warfare, if you had a horse, you had a great advantage. And he says, it's all controlled by the tongue. And then he says in verse 4, or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're stirred by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. It's not the size of the tongue, it's the use of the tongue. The tongue says something about where we're going and how we get there. If you could transcript for the last week, when you walked out of here last Sunday or last Thursday, when you walked out of church with your family, if you could have a transcript, a record of every self-talk moment you had this week, would it be to your benefit or would you ch want to change it? I don't mean what you said to your neighbor or to your spouse or to your children, to a coworker. Let's talk about that another way. But your own self-talk shows the direction you're headed. Some people's self-talk beats themselves up, condemns and shames themselves. Others ignore the reality of what's going on in their world and they placate themselves with little lies and fantasies and episodes that aren't real. What would your transcript say about you? Because those words have power. Those words matter. In Hebrews 11.3, it says, God spoke the world into being by his words. We know that all the way back in Genesis. God speaks things into reality. Now, there's a, there, there's a trend, if you will, or there's a group of people who believe spiritually that based on the Holy Spirit, they can speak things into reality. I don't, I don't believe that. The word of God speaks things into reality, whether written in the scriptures or God himself. And we are created in the image of God. We can speak the words of God and bring those realities to light, but we're not creating realities by making things up or speaking them into existence. When we use the words of God, we're speaking reality. And our words matter. And they show our direction. Human words do not have the power to manifest reality, but we are the one thing God created that uses words to communicate. And James says, understand, your words matter. Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Man, how come I didn't know that at 10? I know this will shock so many of you, but my entire lifetime, if I've ever gotten in trouble... It's for my words. It's not for my actions. You know, sometimes I like this now. They're saying, well, you know, your body language is horrible. It's saying things. I didn't have to worry about that. <laughs> it wasn't my body language. It was this mouth. And if I could go back and change moments in my life where I would have spoken differently or used words differently or been more accurate or less flippant, man. You see, this leads me to this point that your tongue reveals the direction of your soul. It is telling you what's going on inside of you. And Silencing the tongue doesn't change the heart. The heart is the issue because our words have consequences. In, in verse 5, speaking of the consequence, James uses some pretty powerful imagery. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. 
This is vulnerable for me, and I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me. I've had some people come up, oh, I'm sorry. No, don't feel sorry. It happened. There's not one of us in this room who can't think of a moment in our life where someone spoke a word of life into us or a word of death into us. When they spoke something that led us to believe, and another time they led us to They finally, you know that moment when they say something about you or to you and you realize in that moment, oh, that's what you think of me. This is what I mean to you. It's now real because you spoke it. And it wasn't just a word. It came from inside. It had a consequence. So I was a sophomore and I was in a sociology class and I loved this class, but I did not like my teacher. And it was crystal clear he did not like me. Uh, We didn't know each other well enough not to like each other, but it was mutual. And he was a player. Now, I want to use his name, but the Holy Spirit says, no, so I can't. But I don't even know if he's still alive today. But he was the guy like, okay, so I went to school a long time ago, 1979 to 83 were my high school years, and he was wearing Izod, the the alligator. Now, if you're way younger than me, you have no idea what that meant. Let me tell you what it meant. That was a $60 shirt when the rest of us bought $15 shirts. If you wore Izod alligator, you thought you were a player. You were a preppy. And here was this middle-aged man who was a prepper. He was a player. He really noticed the pretty girls in our class. I did. That was my job. It's not his. But he would notice all the pretty girls, and they got all the breaks and all the attention, and the rest of us were just slugs. Well, one day he was talking in sociology about eye color and how eye color matters to people in the world. Blue-eyed people get breaks that other-eyed people don't. And he was proving this. So he went down the row, and he went down to my row. Now, I was sitting next to this girl named Becky. Becky was one of the prettiest girls. She was a year ahead of me in school. I was totally in the friend zone, and I knew it. But she wasn't really academically oriented. Can I say that? (laughs) And so she sat next to homely me because I would help her with her homework. She was my friend. And Becky was very, very pretty, and everybody knew it. Well, This teacher came down the aisle and he looked at this one girl. And I I remember this 40 years later. He looked at this girl and he goes, wow, you have sky blue eyes. And it didn't hurt that she was hot. And he noticed this. He went to the next guy and he made a comment. Then he came to Becky who was sitting to my right and he looked at her and he said, you have uh, chocolate colored eyes. They're just gorgeous. He looked at me and he goes, oh, green. And then he walked away to the next guy. And it was rough. I mean, first, I didn't care what that man thought of me at all, but I was embarrassed in front of all my classmates. He gave everyone a color, and I was like, oh, yours are green. And he went by the next, and I knew, I was like, it's fine, until Becky leaned over to me, and she goes, I'm so sorry. And then the girl behind me leaned forward, Mark, that was, I'm so sorry. And then I went to humiliation. 40 years later, no, no doubt what he thought of me. Nothing. Hmm. Then I had a, a history prof- uh, teacher, I want to say professor, but he was a teacher. And he came by to me, and he's like, Mark, what are your plans after school? And I go, I don't know. I think I might want to be a sports writer. I don't know if I'm going to go to college or not. And he goes, you need to go to college. And I was like, wow. Now, at 17, I thought that was a compliment, but now I'm wondering if it was. You know? <laughs> he's like, dude, you need to learn something. But anyway, but he said to me, and I was like, really? And he goes, yeah, you, you need to. And I said, well, thanks. I was... None of my brothers had gone to college. I'm like, I don't know if I should go to college. But anyway, he spoke that into me, and then he turned around, and he said, and if you need a reference letter, I'll write you one. And I was like, wow, I know what he thinks of me now. You see the difference in words of life and words that don't change anything and sometimes lead people away? Our words have consequences. Nobody in this room would have a hard time thinking of a moment that someone stung you with a word, and you can't forget it. Nor 
Is there anyone in this room who can't think back to a moment where someone who you wanted to believe in you spoke a word of belief and it changes you? Can I have an amen? Is that true? You see, words have consequences. They have lasting consequence. Proverbs 18.20, I like the good news translation of this. You have to live with the consequences of everything you say. A more straight-lined translation of that says uh, at the fruit of a mouth, a person's stomach is filled. doesn't mean it's good. It just means from the fruit of the mouth, you'll eat what you say. James says, it sets the whole course of his life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. You can say something you didn't mean to have any harm, and that doesn't mean it doesn't have harm. doesn't mean I, I've been in places where I've heard parents tell their kids they're stupid. I, I've been in places where I've heard, in, in my office, in counseling situations, where a husband will say something to a wife or a wife will say something to a husband. And in that moment, I sit back in my chair going, that will never be forgotten as long as you both shall live. The anger, the venom, the apologies, they're all possible. But that indelible moment of reality dropped doesn't come from body action. It comes from words. Proverbs 21:23 says, those who guard their mouths and their tongues can keep themselves from calamity. James goes on to say, all kinds of animals have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So are we supposed to wave the white flag here and go, you know, it's not my fault. I can't tame the tongue. It's never going to be tamed. It's a wild animal, and I'm just at its mercy. No, you can't tame the tongue, but God can. This is James' point. We're not a hopeless people. We're a powerful people if we rely on the right power. So he's saying you can't control the tongue, but God can, and this is our hope today. You're not going to change your life by mere willpower, but you can change it by his power. In fact, it even says it's a deadly poison. That's, that word there is snake venom. The word James uses would say it is like being bitten by a venomous snake when the tongue does evil and harsh work. Proverbs 15:4. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue can crush the spirit. A story that I, I think about way too much, to be honest with you, but I discovered it. It was over 35 years ago when I was first starting in ministry and I was in Bible college and one of our professors made us go and, and he, we had to come up with 100 sermon illustrations and file them. Now, this was back in the day where we actually used paper and pen and you had to write them on index cards and you had to file them in these little index slots and you had to create this file to pass this class. And so I went to the ultimate source of truth outside of scripture. I went to the Reader's Digest. And uh, if you don't know what that is, you're your life is less, okay? And so, in, I mean, you all know what I'm talking about, too. Laughter is the best medicine was what the best thing that came in every month in the mail. But anyway, uh, I pulled up this illustration, and I never forgot it. A workman was working on a road construction crew in the hills of Pennsylvania. And every morning, he would go to the site. But as he started going during the summer, he would look out at a fishing hole, and there was always this young kid out there fishing every morning. He thought that was awesome. He was a little bit envious. But he'd go by, and once he got... Going by this day after day, he would stop and he'd yell to the kid, how's it going? And the kid would tell him if he caught anything or anything. And then he would drive to a little gas station and he would get himself a cup of coffee and a donut and head to the site. And one particular morning, he stopped by and he rolled down his window on a beautiful summer morning and he yelled out to the boy and he said, how you doing today? And the little boy said, well, the fish ain't biting, but the worms sure are. And he chuckled and got in his truck and he drove to the gas station and he walked in. He said he had a smile on his face. And the lady who had been talking with him every day for weeks now, when he came in the morning, she said, what are you so happy about? And he said, well, I went by the fishing hole and the little boy was out there. And he said the fish weren't biting, but the worms were. And he said her face dropped. She ran from behind the counter. She got in her pickup truck and she sped away from the store. He thought, wow. So he left his 2 or $3 on the counter for his coffee and his donut and he went to work. 
Next morning, he went by the fishing hole, and the little boy wasn't there. He went to the gas station in his normal routine, and he said to her, what happened yesterday that you tore out of here? She said, well, the moment you said that, I realized what had happened. He thought he'd found fishing worms. He'd found a rattlesnake nest. And rattlesnake babies are born with the full dose of venom. And she said, we got to him just in time. He's in the ICU. They think he's going to make it. Little tiny bites of venom don't seem like much. The tongue, the little bites of venom we give and receive, they don't feel like much, but they kill us. James is drawing a powerful illustration. So words reveal our direction, and they reveal consequences. And the words reveal my faith in his lordship. This is what James wants us to see here. In verse 9, he's calling us as believers. This isn't for the unbeliever. This is for our testimony. The tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with the same tongue we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. From the same mouth comes praise and cursings. My brothers, this should not be. Proverbs 10.31 says, The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, and a perverse tongue will be cut out. Tongue reveals a strange contradiction. It can be inconsistent. It can sincerely offer praise to God and then slash one of God's kids in half for personal favor and merit. And when he talks about cursing here, he's not just talking about foul language, although that's addressed in Scripture. That's not to be who we are. It's, that reveals something inside of us. Uh, I was told a long time ago uh, in a uh, psychology class, and I believe it's true, what makes you laugh and cry reveals your heart which scares me to death because if you fall down in front of me, I laugh. I'm a broken man. <laughs> but it does. It reveals what's going on inside of us, what makes us laugh and what makes us cry and all the other emotions. James says to us, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. An old-time preacher put it very simply, whatever is in the well will come out in the water. Whatever's in the tree comes out in the fruit. Whatever the goal of a person comes out in their words. You see, my problem is not my tongue. My problem is my heart. I can fool you and pretend. You, you give too much credit to people like me. We stand on a stage. They have rotisserie lights on me. My big bald head is gleaming. They give me a microphone. We ask for your attention. And you presume things about my character that are yet proven. And the truth is we can all fool anybody. Our words can project one thing, but James is saying, how can you profess God and love God in one word and then slash and slander another person and speak words of death at home to your family? It's, it's inconsistent. It's a heart problem. This is what's being revealed, and it's not to be this way. Jesus said in Matthew 12, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So one of the things we have to do is listen to ourselves. Listen to your words, because you're going to make mistakes. You're not going to be perfect and flawless, but the choices you make with your words are the choices you get to make. See, if I've got a problem with my tongue, I have a problem with my heart. I was just thinking through this and doing some research. A person with a harsh tongue has an angry heart. A person with a negative tongue has a fearful heart. A person with an overactive tongue has an unsettled heart. A person with a boasting tongue has an insecure heart. A person with a filthy tongue has an impure heart. A person who is critical all the time has a bitter, unthankful heart. 
My words show me where I'm headed. My words have consequences. My words reveal my character. So what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live wisely knowing that words matter more than we may even ascertain? How do we work out our faith? I want to give you two very simple things. I told you from the beginning, this is frustratingly simple teaching, but it's also frustratingly difficult to implement. Very first thing is seek a new, renewed heart each and every day. Seek God to renew your heart daily. I know you made a profession of faith at once in your life, and I know that, that those of you who have, and I know that you've confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, that is not a one-time action. That is an every day of your life action. It's every morning. I shared this with some fellows on Friday morning at a Bible study we were at, that I was talking to a person who had had 20 years, he told me he had 20 years of his life that there was not one day in his life he did not have an alcoholic drink. That's how committed he was to this. And when he broke free of that, and God released those chains from him, and I was talking to him about my sin, my, the thing that trips me up most, and I was sharing with him that it had been 22 days, I told him, been 22 days since I said the kind of things that I was saying about somebody, the slander, the tearing someone down to feel better about myself. And I said, it had been 22 days since I had slandered or gossiped about anybody. And he said, no, it wasn't. And I'm like, well, what did you hear? You know? I mean, did I say something? I wasn't paying attention. And he looked at me and goes, no, it's not 22 days. He goes, you've got it all wrong. If today you say no, that's the only day you get to count. You can't go back and say, I've been good for 22 days. Now I get a cheat day. He said, it doesn't matter what happened yesterday. Today, are you going to be faithful to this? And they said, and you wake up tomorrow and you ask yourself the same question. Am I going to say no today, even though I said no the last 23 days? That was altering for me to go, how do I deal with a hard heart that speaks harsh words? I begin today. I ask God for this. Ezekiel 18, rid yourself of all the offenses you've committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. See, painting the outside of the pump doesn't make the difference of what comes from the pump. It's not just behaving a certain way. This is not a try harder sermon. This is a trust deeper sermon. I don't need a new leaf. I need a new life. What is my purpose for my words? Why has God left us here to serve and bless nations? 2 Corinthians 5, Paul articulates it cleanly. <clears throat> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. There is newness in our life every day. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed us to the message of re reconciliation. Now, I want to be clear. I try to be honest and open, and I use this illustration. I got in trouble already this morning, but I'm going to try it one more time because I think it works, okay? I'm not justifying it. I'm going to tell you it makes sense in my head and heart. God is not telling us to go around blathering out inane bumper stickers, we're not to be Ned Flanders from The Simpsons, saying these inane things over and over. No, we need to be speaking about the truth. God sent Jesus to draw you close to him, that he can reconcile you, adopt you, justify you, bring sanctification to your life, and bring a holiness that's pure and good for you. These are the words we should be saying, not tearing someone down so we look bigger, stronger, better. See, I don't know what your issue with words is. I'm just assuming all of us struggle with it. Paul says there's a purpose. David made it very clear in Psalm 51, created me a clean heart, O God, 
And this was in the worst moment of his public outing he'd ever experienced. He realized his behavior wasn't going to change the problem. God had to change his heart. And this is where we begin, to ask God to give us a new heart, to give us a new vocabulary, to stop us. And the second thing I want you to think about is surrender your heart to purpose. Choose today. Choose today which words you use and why you use them. You see, we need a supernatural power outside of ourselves to control our tongue, according to James. Psalm 141, verse 3, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. I don't know that this would be impossible for you, but I don't know that you'd be interested, but I want to encourage you to do something. I've been trying to do this for the last three weeks, to put to memory Psalm 141, verse 3. I encourage you to think about doing it and make it your morning prayer. Before you grab your phone and check your text or your emails or how your favorite ball team did or what broke news overnight, before you touch your phone, quote yourself these, this word, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Make that your statement in the morning. Today, this day, I'm going to choose to bring life with my words, not darkness, not condemnation. That doesn't mean you won't speak truth. And that doesn't mean that you won't say what needs to be said, but it will sure shape the way you say it. Psalm 35 says, my tongue will speak of your righteousness and all of, of your praises all day long. It's another thing to memorize. I wake up every morning and I pray the Lord's Prayer inside my heart to God. It's just like Jesus taught me. And I quote the 23rd Psalm to remind me who I am and who's leading me. And I've now started to add these Psalms to my morning to remind myself. Mark your words, carry more weight than they should. Carry them well. Deliver them well. James, in chapter 1 of our, of our book that we're studying through, in chapter 1, verse 19, James says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And this is possible. This is possible in submission to the Lordship of Jesus. This is possible as we grow deeper in our faith. Once again, this is not a try harder sermon. This is a trust, a deeper sermon to go deeper and to seek more. We're going to spend a few moments uh, before we have another song of worship to God and some time to sing together and praise his name together. There's going to be some prayer prompts that come on the screen. There's four of them. There's a prayer of confession. There's a prayer of praise. And then there's two prayers of request. And they're going to be on the screen individually. And in this next few moments together, I'm asking each one of us to sit in our place and ponder the prompt on the screen and have a conversation with the Lord as we enter into this time of giving ourselves to God and surrender. Let's ask God for the power to do what he's calling us to do. Let's listen to James tell us the way to live wisely in the day in which we live is to use our words well, to use them for praise and glorification, to speak the name of Christ, to lift one another up, to let the consequences of our words have eternal significance. Let's spend a few moments talking with God about these things. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.